So we continue in, in our Jesus Christmas series. We're just taking things that we treasure about Christmas and thinking what difference, or what do they say to us about what we're really longing for in life and how Jesus and his place in Christmas might actually really speak to that. So we had family Christmas. Now we're having a magical Christmas. I, I was interested the other day, I, uh, my RI class, I asked them what was important about Christmas. I must be doing something right because the first three or four answers was, Jesus, and I thought, wow, that's pretty impressive that they've picked that one up. Um, it's not a given in, our, in most RI classes. There was a couple that said family, but I was struck how many kids said something like, oh, the magic of Christmas, or the spirit of Christmas, that, that special thing that Christmas does. I don't know what you think of in, in the magic of Christmas. I've been trying to put my finger on it. I, I think of kids wide-eyed with wonder as they go down to look at shop windows that have been fitted out with christmas decorations or something like that that the little the moments of surprise where they something unexpected happens and the kids just go oh, magic of christmas aldi has been having a go at the magic of christmas this year they've got an ad i thought we'd have a look at it because i think it's really revealing So there you are, the magic of Christmas. It's a never-ending ham, never realised. <laughs> but it's actually more than that in the ad, isn't it? That the real magic of Christmas going on is the way that people are being brought together. This whole Tasmanian town gets united and decides to go and have a picnic on a cliff edge, of all likely places, um, because they've, they've all been brought together by this ham. Even the crotchety old lady... Is, ends up sitting at the, the head of the table because at least to some measure she's been brought in and united to other people. And really that's, that is a big theme for our magic of Christmas, isn't it? When you think about uh, Dickens' Christmas Carol and Scrooge, it's, it, there's something that's supposed to go on at this time of year where, where our heart melts, where relationships are mended. One of our classic stories is the story of the Christmas truce Back in the First World War, 1914, and French, German and British soldiers, they're inspired by the singing of Christmas carols in the trenches. They, they 
get out, they exchange gifts and greetings, they even have a game of soccer together. Lieutenant Edward Hulse was there and he wrote to his mother afterwards, if I had seen it on a cinematographic film, I should have sworn that it was fake. There's the magic of Christmas. And yet that same story reminds us that this magic is temporary, it doesn't last. Because before the next Christmas, Lieutenant Hulse was dead, killed in battle. And when some of his fellow officers in the Scots Guard tried to celebrate Christmas the same way in the next year, they were court-martialed. 1915, the High Command had prohibited these Christmas truces. And by 1916, the battle had been so intense, the conflict so brutal, no one sought a Christmas truce anymore. And it's sort of sadly familiar, isn't it? Because usually the magic of Christmas is confined to Christmas. We put aside the conflicts for a day. We might try to get together and, and uh, for the sake of family. But, but the magic of Christmas, it doesn't last. So we've got Christmas has this power to do the unexpected, especially in our relationships, to, to bring people together, to, to have moments that we don't expect. But the magic doesn't last. What we need, as C.S. Lewis puts it, is a deeper magic. So have a look again at your um, Bibles there. We're going to start in Luke and then jump back to Isaiah. So Luke 1, verse 5, it's the first Christmas story. And it's more than magical, isn't it? There's all these amazing things going on that are supernatural. There's this couple, barren for their whole life, we're told in verse 7. But suddenly, supernaturally, they are promised a baby. Let me read from verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. There's so much supernatural about the announcement and then what this baby will do is supernatural. He is going to transform relationships. Jump down to verse 17. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This child, John the Baptist, has been sent to change hearts, to bring the, the people of Israel back to God. And what I want to focus on this morning is the how. How is this done? It's because God steps in supernaturally. It's much more than magic. This is the infinite, transcendent, power beyond this world God. And he comes down. So go to Isaiah 64. Um, I forget the page number. But uh, if anyone wants to... 580? 18. 518. Isaiah 64. Um, we picked it up at 63 to remind ourselves of the problem. At this time, uh, that God's people, they're not in God's place. The, the nation has been defeated. The, the temple has been trampled by other nations. They're living life without God. And it's all because of sin. So, uh, 64 verse 9, listen again. 
Isaiah says, Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where our ancestors prayed you has been burned with fire and all that we treasured lies in ruins. There's this horrific situation. A major catastrophe for the people has happened. And so what solution does Isaiah long for? He says that the God up there needs to come down here. Listen to verse 1 again. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. Isaiah looks for this intervention of God. The supernatural God needs to step in to, to bring a solution to this messy, messy situation. And he asks for it because he knows God's done it before. I think that's what's going on in verse 3. He remembers the exodus. He remembers all the wonders, the plagues that God sent on the Egyptians. And he remembers how they got to Sinai and then God came down to the mountain and it shook. Listen to verse 3. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. They crossed the Red Sea, they, they were fed in the desert, they, they crossed the Jordan and there was the Battle of Jericho. Time and again, God supernaturally stepped in. And Isaiah says, this is what makes you, God, unique. You're not just some force in the background, some, some ambivalent, a- ambiguous deity that we don't really know you are the god that steps in and acts have a listen to verse four since ancient times no one has heard no ear has perceived no eye has seen any god besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him you come to the help of those who gladly do right who remember your ways This is the wonderful thing about God and I've been reflecting how little it shapes my life. How how easily I just do not live like God is a God who acts. You see, God actually made us to be in relationship with him. He didn't make us to be the distant, far-off God. He made us to walk in the garden with him. That was Eden's picture, wasn't it? To be in relationship with the one sustaining our very breath. We were made to live life before God, with the, with the confidence that, that nothing is beyond his power, nothing is too hard for God, and so there is nothing that we need to fear. But it's not how we live. I know it's not how I live, I doubt it's how you live. Uh, we are all materialists. We live as though the created world is all there is, and so if there's nothing in, not enough food in the cupboard, if my bank balance is too low, if... There's conflict in my relationships and I can't resolve it, then then nothing is going to fix it. No, the message is that God is a supernatural God who comes down. His son came and became one of us. He adopted us as his own children so that we could call him father. God is not a distant force. He's not the the watchmaker who sets up the creation, winds it up, and then walks away. 
He is the God who is present with us. And it's what we need. Because, because the other thing that we're seeing in this passage is that whatever the presenting problem, the real problem is sin. Uh, Israel, the temple's been trampled, they've been defeated by other nations, but the fundamental issue is their sin. There's this deep division between us and the supernatural Lord of all. We're offensive to him. Have a look at the language in verse 5 and notice that it, the shame involved is that we don't call on God for help when things go wrong. Verse 5. But when we continue to sin against them, against God's ways, that is, you are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. We have all sorts of presenting problems. We, we have conflicts in our family. We have things that we're worried about. But behind them all is this deep chasm with our creator, the one who made us, but we do not call on him, do not turn to him when we should. And I, and I really think there's something that's going on when we, we love this idea of the magic of Christmas. And look, I'm not one against imagination and invention. I, I love the idea of, of worlds of magic and fantasy. Um, I love a little bit of make-believe. But the real problem is if they're a substitute for trusting in God. If, as Isaiah says, in the face of very real problems, problems that are too big for us to solve, we refuse to call on God, but we love to play these ideas of, of magic and, and other ways of solving our problems. C.S. Lewis, um, he was a great fantasy writer, and he also wrote science fiction, but he did make this observation about how people keep wanting to, to search the stars and find something more. He suggests that our longing for aliens and other worlds, it's because we know we need something more and the more we understand that this world, we, we think we've explored it all, we, we keep looking beyond it. We, we feel that there's got to be something else. Hear what he says. It is not difficult to see why those who wish to visit strange regions in search of such beauty, awe or terror as the actual world does not supply have increasingly been driven to other planets or stars. It's the result of increasing geographical knowledge. The less known the real world is, the more plausibly your marvels can be located near at hand. See, if we, we don't know much about the world, sure, I can imagine there might be some solution just around the corner. But, but the more that science explains my world here and now, well, the more that people keep talking about multiverses, the more that people go to uh, um, spirituality and assistive medicine, and there's this search for some power beyond the ordinary some solution in a, in a realm that science can't explain because we have this deep sense that there must be something more. The Bible says there is something more. There is a God who can be called on, but foolishly we don't do it. Uh, I don't know the, the challenges in your life. What I do know is that if your ref reflex is like mine, you're looking in the wrong place for a solution. The one to call on is God, the God who steps in, who came down and who acts.
So what am I saying about the magic of Christmas? Um, I, I'm saying that there's something better than the magic of Christmas. And I'll, I'll pick up these three words um, that we're going to use in this series, discover, pursue and practice. So what I'm encouraging you this morning to do is to discover a Jesus Christmas, not just a magic Christmas. See, it is wonderful to have all these stories about uh, all the fun of Christmas. But as a Christian, my privilege is to remember the story of one who was, came to this earth to solve its problems, to save it from sin. The Bible actually records that God came down in the man Jesus. And there was one guy who met him, uh, a, a guy named John. He lived with Jesus, he chatted with him, he, he spent his days wandering around with Jesus. And yet, when he describes what Jesus was like, listen to the words that he uses. He says that Jesus is someone well beyond ordinary. This is John's words about Jesus. The word, that, that this is the idea of an eternal being that was present with God from the very beginning. The word took flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of his one and only, full of grace and truth. What sort of man, what sort of person that you hang out with will get you talking that way? And yet John is willing to use that language because what he realised is when he met Jesus, he met someone supernatural. It was, it was someone who had rent the heavens and come down. Now, if you haven't encountered Jesus like that, can I encourage you, please grab a Bible. We'd be more than happy for you to take one of our Bibles home. That would be no problem at all. Sit down, pray to God, open it up at a book like Mark and just meet Jesus. Ask God to show you the astounding person that is Jesus because he really is supernatural. Yeah, yeah ma magic of Christmas is great, but discover a Jesus Christmas. Discover one who has who's come from heaven to earth. Secondly, pursue. I want to encourage us this morning to pursue a life lived by supernatural powers. So you don't need to have some magic spell to tap into God's power. You don't have to have some special ceremony. You simply need to ask God to work in your life. So if you've, you've discovered who Jesus is, then you just need to pursue his work in your life. Ask him to forgive your sins. Ask him to heal your brokenness. That the wounds that, that are a result of sin can be healed by the power of Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to heal those sins, so trust him to do that. Ask him for forgiveness. And then ask him to be at work in your life now. Ask him for the Holy Spirit. He promises it to anyone who trusts in Jesus, that he will be active and alive in, and working in you. That's the invitation of something much more than a magical Christmas. This is pursuing supernatural power in your life. And, and I say those words, and I'm, I reckon there's a good chance that many of us have heard them in this room before. Do you know the reality of God at work in your life. That's what I'm asking. And, and so the third thing is practice. And I really want to encourage us to practice living like God is active and living, working in our lives. Like the supernatural God is involved in my life now. Now that's not too radical a thing to say, actually. It sounds like you've got to adopt some sort of mystical practices 
But here's what it involves. It means praying. If you're like me, that is enough of a challenge in itself. I say that I trust in God. Do I, do I spend the time speaking to Him, bringing each of my moments of my day, the things that are happening before God? I can pray about trivial things. I can pray about big things because He is the God overall. Pray. And then trust God in every circumstance of our life, you know, um, which say God is at work in everything for our good. That means not necessarily that everything's going to be comfortable and secure. It doesn't mean that my kids are guaranteed success. It means that God is at work in everything to bring about my obedience, my holiness, my sincere love. Do I see every moment of my life as an opportunity to pursue God's plan for me? to see how God is using this moment to make me more like Jesus. Do we see every conversation as a divine appointment? That this person I meet today, that I'm, as I'm interacting at the shops, this is a moment given by God, that I, I can relate to this person, love them, that, that God's presented me to them and them to me for a blessing. That I might share the gospel with them, that they might encourage me? What about church? Church isn't just a social club. It's not just a, a, a get-together once a week. It's another supernatural moment, isn't it? Where God has gathered His people together and speaks to us through His Word, even though it's through weak and frail preachers, but, but it's His Word and it works in us and it encourages us to speak to each other after church. The magic of Christmas, it lasts a month each year at most. Well, actually three if the, the shops won't have their way. But, but the, the supernatural experience of God at work in my life, that's a daily invitation each day to realise that the Creator God is at work in and through me. I actually want us to just stop for a moment. I'm going to invite you to reflect. How would your life be different? What is another way you might be able to express that you live life before a supernatural God at work in you. I'm just going to let us have a pause a moment just to reflect on that. I'll be really interested to hear your answers your thoughts about what it, what it looks like to live life like God has come down. Um, I hope that you'll get a chance to speak to God about that. Um, he is here. He is working. In fact, why don't we finish this time by speaking to him again? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God who split the heavens, who came down to rescue us from sin through your son, Jesus. Please reveal to us the wonder of who he is and what it means to live life knowing him. We, we ask we would know something much more unexpected than the magic of Christmas, that we'd see our lives changed for so much longer than just one day each year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Simon's up at Kids Church, and it's my job to say what's next. Um, I think we're right to sing. Is that going to be okay?